Welcome everybody, I'm Richard Krauss and I hope that you're staying happy, healthy and safe. This is a big show, a huge show, so let's get right at it. Later on, I'll introduce you to Maxwell McCabe-Locos. He's the director of a new film called Stanleyville. It's available now on VOD. I'll tell you all about that in just a little while. But here's what you need to know about it. Imagine if Samuel Beckett wrote The Squid Game minus the giant Cupid doll, and you'll have an idea of what Stanleyville is all about. I'll tell you about that movie a little bit later on. We'll also meet Canadian Comedy Award winner Ken Hall. Variety calls him hilarious, and he performs improv comedy all over the world to great success, but his journey to the stage was a roundabout one. We'll talk about that and the two roles that he plays on Netflix's Umbrella Academy, the popular show starring Elliot Page. He performs Pogo, the talking chimpanzee and director at the Umbrella Academy, as well as Herb, a manipulator of our reality. Oh, please don't hurt me. What the hell are you? I'm Herb. I'm an analyst. I'm Diego. I have a knife. Yes, I can see. We'll talk all about that show and how studying improv comedy completely changed his life. First, though, let's meet Maestro Fresh West. My lyrics are awesome and tune in volume and bloom and a blossom and blowing away blockades and barricades make you black and blue from the blast of the blaze. It's a blood sport. Blood builds up back. I make your vision go blurry while your brain goes black into oblivion. Beats from box to box to face rocks from blocks and blocks. Let your backbone fly. You know that song. In Canada alone, Let Your Backbone Slide sold 50,000 copies, making Maestro the first Canadian rapper to have a gold single. His debut album, Symphony in Effect, was the first certified platinum album by a black Canadian artist. He's the godfather of Canadian hip-hop, a record producer, an actor, and author who adds competition show host to his resume with a new show called Race Against the Tide. He plays host to 10 of the world's best sand sculpting duos and throws down a challenge each and every week on the show. Create a show-stopping sculpture at New Brunswick's iconic and beautiful Bay of Fundy before the world's largest tides flow in and wash their sculptures away. You can see the show on Sundays on CBC and CBC Gem at 8.30 p.m. Here's Maestro Fresh West, who joined me via Zoom. Welcome to the Bay of Fundy in New Brunswick, a place I call home, and where the toughest beach battle on the planet is about to go down. This is my kingdom! A fresh new fleet of 10 world-class sand sculpting teams will dig, pound, carve and sculpt to create extraordinary works of art entirely made from sand. I don't think that I've spoken to you since you've moved to the East Coast. I'm from the East Coast originally. I moved the other way. I came here. You went down there. Uh, how's it going? What do you love about it? It's a small town, small town, little vibe, you know, good people. I like St. John a lot. Probably like, like I always say, probably the friendliest people I ever met in my life. It's like the world went on and they they stayed within themselves, you know? Definitely appreciate that about the, the city. Um, the province is dope, but especially St. John, man. St. John is amazing people over there, man. We've got some, some good friends. Yeah, some yeah. Good friends and stuff over there, man. So it's a blessing. How much about Sam sculpting did you know before you took on this gig? Absolutely nothing. And that's what was so exciting about the job because there's so many things I could have done that's on the nose. Meaning, yeah, I'm a rapper, I'm a music guy, so let me do some music stuff, which is fine. Like, like, But this was exciting to me because I knew absolutely nothing about this. And I said to myself, 
Could Samuel L. Jackson pull this off? Could Snoop, could Snoop pull this off? Would Exhibit pull it off? Would, would Ice Cube? Yes. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying? That's what I thought of. I thought of like, okay, this is outside my parameters of a hip hop artist, right? Let's let's look at artists that I like. You know, guys who've been intergenerational. Yep. They've done things like this where they expand and go beyond what's expected from them. You know what I'm saying? So tell me a little bit about uh, the competition itself. I know what I loved about the first season, and I assume it's the same here, is that you've got people who are doing something cool, making something that's you know created in the moment. It won't last forever, but it's a much friendlier competition than you see on Survivor where they're all trying to push one another off the island or whatever it is. This doesn't feel like this. Nah, man, you don't need to have any theatrics when that tide is coming in at the end of the yeah. day. That tide's going to come and want to push everybody around. So yeah. you can come with all the theatrics you want, but that's just wasting time because there's nothing going to stop that tide from coming in. And when it comes in, everything will get dissolved. Everything will, will, will you know, yeah. go off into the to the ocean, you know what I'm saying? So there's the, that's the drama within itself, it, it, it's, it's nature. We like to be big, we like to make a statement. Ready. We're gonna get in there and kick their butts. These mind-blowing sculptures can take days to create, but here, they have just six hours. The pressure's unbelievable. Ah! Oh my God. Yeah, we're not going home tonight. This unstoppable tide is their living, breathing stopwatch. Uh-oh. Tide's coming. And when it comes crashing in, tide's in, time's up. It will rip everything back out to sea. How heartbreaking is that at the end of the day? So you've sat there for hours watching them create these things. And then yeah. just like that, it's all gone. I don't know how they do it, man, because I'm a type of guy. I like to, you know, write songs that, that can last forever. You know, there's painters who paint, you know, do paintings and art that last forever. These artists, they know that it's it's a rap. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's like it's like they fall in love with what they're doing for a hot minute, and then it's like, you know. It's, it's a wrap, man. So it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing, man. You're listening to Maestro Fresh West on The Richard Krause Show. See his new show, Race Against the Tide, on Sundays on CBC and CBC Gem at 8.30 p.m. What's so appealing about it is that it's making something just for the joy and the art of making it. You know, exactly. and I think there's something about that that's really that's really potent. Yeah, man, that's what it is, man. But I met some cool sculptors, man, from like all over the world, man. Yeah. In Holland, I'm talking uh, where uh, Colombia, Mexico, wow, um, the states, like people from everywhere, man, everywhere. Korea. Did you find that there was a, a a different style depending on where they were from in the world? Was there a different style or a different thing? They were all friends, man. They knew each other. I was the oddball, man. <laughs> they, they know each other from time, from, from going to all these world-class competitions. What were some of the uh, sculptures that really kind of blew your mind? It was a special Halloween episode. So that one had to be done in the night. Oh, and yeah. they, they were allowed to have five lights. And it was just, I remember somebody did a sculpture of a kid running. And wow. you see like, a monster come, like, like, what were you made of? I made out of sand. Yeah, Like, I was like, yo, like the creativity was crazy. Did you learn any techniques? Are you going to be like leaving the house and going down to the beach? I'm a spectator. I thought about it, though. But no, I'm safe over here. Every day I was enthralled seeing something new. You know, it was fascinating. How long uh, is the day? Like, are are you there for like 10 hours or something? How does that work? Yeah, yeah, I'm there the whole day, man. 
I'm there the whole day. Some cats be like, yo, man, you're giving us nightmares, man. Because when I say the red flag is coming, the red <laughs> flag is coming. That means you, it's a wrap in a hot minute, you know? And was there a learning curve for you at all in terms of uh, figuring out just how to host a show? That's a great question. If there was a learning curve for me. You know what it is? In my life, I've had so many learning curves. Yeah, yeah. And I've had different learning curves as, as points of reference because I, you know, I got a hip hop background, you know. So when I went into film and TV, it was like there's a learning curve. It's not my script anymore, but you got to make it yours if you're an actor. Right. So now I'm hosting stuff It's a learning curve. You're, you're not acting, but it's a script that you didn't write as well. Yeah. And if you put everything together, the transferable skills you've reached, you know, you're in a good spot. I think most importantly, it looks like it was fun to do. It was the black man. Listen, I had a great time. And you know, the hardest part was telling people to get off the beach, man. Yeah. Like, you're done. You're done. You're done. You know, the tide has turned on you. Now get out, pack your tools and bounce. You know? That was the hardest thing to do. Cause my mind, I want to go grab a beer and kick it with y'all. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Pack your tools. Get out of here. Five-time world champion Karen Fralick and master sculptor Rusty Croft will decide which teams live to carve another day. Only the best can win. Another crack, another yeah, crack. Yeah, it's going. You can already pack your bags. But in the end, only one team will take home the grand prize of $10,000. Fantastic. A maestro fresh west. Watch as we race against the tide. Did the judges always get it right, or were there times when you were... I think. I think, I mean, those are world-class judges, man. Like, you yeah. know, like, who I'm, I'm the rapper, you know what I mean? <laughs> world-class judges, like, respected in their craft of, of, of sculpting, sand sculpting. And what kind of things are they looking for? Height, if it's circular, satellites. That's what I wouldn't know before. I, do you know what a satellite is? No, just like something that sticks out of it. Yeah, they call this a satellite. Where yeah. say you have a, see, this, I wouldn't be able to tell you this unless yeah. I did this. You have your sculpture. But then around it, you can have different pieces, which yeah. make up the whole thing. But these little compartments are called satellites. Like, these are things I would know until yeah. I, I watch it and think I'm a part of it now, you know? They want to see creativity. They want to see use your space, use your time. I, I, like I said, the height is one, was one thing, too. The, the higher you go, the more chances of collapsing. That was Maestro Fresh West on The Richard Krause Show. See his new show, Race Against the Tide, on Sundays on CBC and CBC Gem. Have you been watching The Umbrella Academy on Netflix? If not, here's what you need to know. On the same day, in October 1989, 43 infants were inexplicably born to random, unconnected women who showed no signs of pregnancy the day before. Seven are adopted by a man named Sir Reginald Hargreaves, a billionaire industrialist who creates The Umbrella Academy and prepares his children to save the world. They are superheroes of a sort, each with a separate gift. Into this mix comes my next guest, Ken Hall. A Canadian Comedy Award winner, an actor, teacher, and comedian, Ken has two distinct roles on the series. In a motion capture performance, he played Pogo, the intelligent chimpanzee who kind of ran things at the Umbrella Academy, and now he can be seen as analytic specialist Herb. In this new series, the superhero siblings have entered a new, confusing timeline where they may have to do battle or something with their doppelganger. Your team's good, but I don't think you're better than me. I ended the world twice. 
And you, you're just meat and spandex. Dad didn't adopt us as babies, but those babies still existed here. So if you ever see your other self, kill them. Sleep with them. Avoid them. What the hell is wrong with you? Oh, come on, as if you wouldn't climb Luther Mountain. Ken has a fascinating story from an unhappy early life to making people laugh on stage. Variety even called him hilarious in a rave review. And he told me the whole inspiring thing in this interview. Ken Hall joined me via Zoom from Los Angeles. You have two college diplomas, career mm -hmm. and work counselor and a social services worker diploma. Neither yeah. of those has anything to do with comedy. So tell me how <laughs> your discovery of improv uh, changed things for you, because I understand it was kind of like oh, a light bulb going off. Oh, it was a huge, it was a light bulb. It was uh, like uh, like a, a hundred and twenty wattage. It was uh, it was great. It, it it was an amazing experience and very serendipitous um, for me. I didn't really do a lot of my in my teens and twenties. I was a very anxious and and a fearful person. And in my late twenties, I, I made a big decision to quit drinking, mm. and uh, that was really a huge catalyst because for the first time, I'm like, well, who am I, and uh, who do I want to be, and so. Um, I revisited a, a social service worker diploma that I got straight out of high school, um, and I volunteered at a youth shelter in Scarborough uh, in the GTA of Toronto, and uh, I, I realized it kind of just wasn't for me. It was still too front line, but I was actually ironically seeing a career counselor at the time, <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute, like, tell me about what you do, and for me, I've always been that person where people have opened up for whatever reason i'm a bit of a magnet for that people are like hey i don't know you but can i share everything with you <laughs> and uh you know it's a curse and a blessing i suppose but uh, i i you know i obviously i really appreciate that and for me helping has always been uh at the core of everything that has been meaningful for me uh to do and so uh, after researching i decided to i'm like you know what i'm gonna apply for this program the career work counselor program and I, I often say to people, I had no idea how I would do. I was a very solid C student, but I, I describe myself as being a very solid C person. As I was saying, I was so afraid of everything and afraid of everyone. I didn't know how to connect with people, especially connecting with people sober uh, without the crutch of alcohol. And um, I found that at this time, so this is probably when I was about maybe 30 or so. So going back to school and at that same time, I'd also <laughs> rolled the dice on uh, taking a beginner's acting class through the Toronto District School Board, a night school class. Mm. And so I was sort of doing those two almost parallel. And I found that for both of them, it was like, um, I'm finding more pieces of me, huge pieces of the puzzle that I was trying to put together because I, I felt like I'd been very fragmented for most of my life and really not knowing myself. You're listening to Ken Hall on The Richard Krause Show. The new season of The Umbrella Academy is on Netflix right now. Uh, so this was like cultivating a new sense and possibly getting rid of a lot of those labels that was like, oh, you're shy. You're, you know, uh, no one likes you. <laughs> like, you know, don't try anything. You know, it was that thing of like, I'm going to stay with what's familiar because uh, that feels safer. But I, I just got to a point where I'm like, I'm so unhappy. I need a change. And I always felt like there was something more out there. And so I gravitated towards career counseling. So I went, I went back to school, graduated, graduated with honors. Uh, there's a bit of ego in that, but I'm like, wow, like that again, it just, it, it just goes to show of like how you perceive yourself and, and the limitations. I think that you, that people are so good to place on themselves. And that applies also to improv. 
mm. that people are saying, oh, no, no, I can't get up on stage. I can't do that. You know, it's like, but you're literally talking to me, telling me you can't do this. And we're making it up as we go along. It's a conversation. And everyone has a sense of imagination. Everyone has a sense of play. But I think as adults, we forget that. And that gets muted. And people, again, get stuck in the familiar. But they're unhappy. A lot of people are comfortable with the status quo. But for me, I needed change happened. And I just started to say yes to things, whereas opposed, I would say no to things. And even though on paper, it seems like, oh, career counseling is very different to acting or to improv comedy, for example. But I feel like they're actually very similar. To me, I realize like it's helping people like to be on a to be on an improv stage to make other people laugh for me, I think is medicine. And I, I think that is a counseling in a way people can show up to a show in a particular kind of mood or state, and then they can shift. Hopefully it's a good show. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully they leave happier. Not like that was not a great show. I want my money back. <laughs> really, really does that ever happen? But that's the kind of thing that, that gave me meaning mm-hmm. and purpose in my life is that I still, it's still very important for me to, to have helping in the formula of what makes me happy and what makes me feel worthwhile and useful in this world. Uh, but helping just doesn't have to be in a, a 60 or 90 minute counseling session with someone. You can help someone shooting the 30 second New York fries commercial for you trying to sell hot dogs on the street to someone. <laughs> that was the first time people were like, hey, you're the hot dog guy. Yeah. And I'm like, and they're smiling and everything. I'm like, right. I think I helped that person. So that's how it all kind of, it's, it's all a big mixture. It's all a big stew of stuff. But that, at the end of the day, that's the thing that really, uh, gives me purpose and joy and fulfillment is helping other people. And I, again, recognizing that helping can come in a variety of different ways. It's not just simply, what's your problem? I'm going to try right. to help you. Right. Yeah. Like, I'll fix it. There's other ways of, of connecting with people and, and making people feel seen and heard and mattered. Because again, for each part of my life, <laughs> I just didn't feel like anyone saw me. Or if they did, it was for negative reasons for my height, I'm four, seven and three quarters and I have major scoliosis. So I'm like, I stood out and society's very good. I'm like, Hey, you're different. <laughs> Let's and, love and you. Did Let's you always you feel that? It's a, almost like a sense of learned helplessness. Right. And you know, we create, we're so good at creating a narrative for ourselves. We're so good at creating our own stories and living by that story and not challenging that story as well. And it's hard. It's hard when you're a kid and it's hard when you're a teenager in particular, when it's just survival, mm-hmm. you're just looking to get through things, you know, and, and uh, it's only later where maybe you have a bit more insight and agency to change. And that's what improv really taught me was that it, again, how important it is to evolve and to seek growth, not to resist it, but to actually to pursue it and actually try to have fun in your life as well, to actively try to cultivate yeah. joy, play, and pleasure. Because those were things when I was young that were hard to come by, you know, because again, the world felt very unsafe and it felt like there wasn't a place for me in there. So it's it's lovely to be more in this space now and to be able to help people. And uh, when I'm teaching, for example, I teach a ton of improv and clown and uh, communic acting and, and such and, and mindfulness sometimes as well, which has been lovely. Uh, but that's one of the things I'm trying to help adults connect with that younger side that may have gotten lost or that still hasn't been uh, brought back into like an like into the adult world in a sense. They haven't been integrated. You know, it's sort of like, yeah, my childhood kind of sucked. But it's like, no, 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 that playfulness that you missed as a child, you can have this now. 
as an adult and as a career counselor, I'm like, that's it. You follow what brings you joy, what brings you pleasure. You're listening to Umbrella Academy star Ken Hall on The Richard Krause Show. The moment happened, gosh, and this is a long time. This is probably about maybe 12 years ago, I'm thinking. Um, I was working full time as a, an employment counselor, Monday to Friday, nine to five, and I had one week of holidays. And uh, so what I decided to do, I'm like, I'm like, I'm going to go to New York City. I'd never been in New York City before. Right. And I, if I had that one week off, I'm like, I'm going to do something. Of course, for me, I'm like, I'm going to do improv right. in New York City. So I signed up for uh, uh, UCB's, the Upper East Citizens Brigade 101 class. Uh, so flew to, <laughs> flew to New York and did the first couple of classes. And on the Wednesday, I was doing an improv show here in Toronto for what's called a cage match competition. And that is basically you're pitting long form improv teams against each other. Right. And so I was on a team called What Would Jesus Do? And uh, the idea was that we're all supposed to dress up and you know, in religious you know, gear. I was the only one who actually showed up dressed, you know, <laughs> so big beard, rope, you know, like uh, robes and belt. Everyone else didn't. So <laughs> my team blocked me. <laughs> on that uh in improv that's ironic um but we had been doing pretty good in this in this cage match competition we'd been winning uh and and building up this like a bit of a cult following almost there was a people were really excited to see us play and we had a show that wednesday and it just so happened uh that i had that wednesday off and so i i, I rolled the dice and i'm like you know what i'm gonna fly back to toronto to do this improv show and then fly back to new york on the Thursday morning to finish off the UCB program. And that was the moment that I realized I'm like, this is now very different. This is this is much more than a hobby. This is so much more. And 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 it was a lovely feeling. It was exciting. And it still is. I love traveling. I love going to places and <clears throat> and performing improv and getting like um, I, I play in a comedy duo called Two Men No Show with my uh, best friend. Uh, Isaac Kessler, and, and it's so amazing, like all the places that we've been in, it'll actually be 14 years in two weeks. We started off in 2000, uh, 2009 uh, for Toronto Fringe Festival, wow. and uh, and it's amazing just the how my life has changed in so, such dramatic ways. Tell me a little bit about the journey of Umbrella yeah. Academy. I, I do two roles. Happy to do more as well. I, I, I like out five, five, yeah. ten. You know, how many? Thousand, how you many know. do you have yeah, for yeah. me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to play. Uh, so yeah, it was. Uh, it's, it's been a lovely opportunity. I'm, I'm so thrilled and grateful to be part of the the cast and uh, and get to play in this wonderful world. So I, I my uh, I first got connected with them. I did an audition in Toronto. Uh, for the body and voice of this character called Pogo, which was uh, a talking chimpanzee, butler-like uh, mm -hmm. individual, sort of sage-like, very uncle-like, paternal uh, to the children that are the members of the Umbrella Academy. And uh, they made, uh, so, I, and it was one of those things, too, where I'm like, I know I had a good audition. Yeah. <laughs> There's times you where I'm like, I'm not going to work again. <laughs> But it was like, I left that. I just be like, oh, I did good. I, I just had a feeling about yeah. it. And, and it was like about three weeks later and I still haven't heard anything, which is usually, you know, how acting goes, right? Yeah. You, you know, you go for auditions and, you know, they get in touch if they want you. Uh, and I was like, oh, it's just kind of surprised. I'm like, fair enough. You're listening to Ken Hall on The Richard Krause Show. The new season of The Umbrella Academy is on Netflix now. And then sure enough, not too long after that, they gave me the offer. And it wasn't for the voice. They actually had someone else now. 
in mind for the voice. And I found out later it was Adam Godley from uh, Breaking Bad, it's a, a tremendous actor and such, but they wanted someone to physicalize, to be the body of Pogo. And I'm like, all right, let's do this. Sign me up. I've done a, a ton of like prosthetic work for my time on People of Earth. Sure. Uh, you know, <laughs> being made up to be big gray-headed alien yeah. uh, and such. But and so this is a very different thing. I've never done motion capture style stuff before, and it was a great experience and somewhat challenging to be like, okay, <laughs> I physicalize a chimpanzee. Okay. <laughs> who talks and who's geriatric as well and walks with a cane. <laughs> All right, I'm in, I'm in, let's do it. Uh, and uh, so that was great. And about halfway through shooting the first season, uh, Majin called me up and, and she, she was like, uh, Ken, uh, you know, they're just wondering if you want to play like a person. <laughs> and I'm like, I would love to play a person. <laughs> who is this person? So it was a small character called Herb, who's part of this organization called The Commission. And uh, so I, I said yes to it. There were just a, a few scenes, season one. And then going into season two, the showrunner, one of the producers, like, Ken, we've got some, uh, <laughs> we've got some big ideas for her <laughs> this season. <laughs> and well, it, it just goes to show, too, um, uh, this, I, I think it's this idea of like people can recognize hard work. I mm -hmm. think, you know, I mean, people recognize I was like, when I'm playing poker, I know it's not my voice. It's it's going to be Adam Godley's, but yeah. I went into set every day so prepped. And and for me, I'm like, I am Pogo. I'm all of Pogo. Because <laughs> I need to be. I can't phone it in because mm. the other actors need me to to play off of and to, you know, and, and I'm feeding them as well. Yeah. Uh, so I think they recognize that and, and offering me that role of Herb um, <laughs> was just a, a lovely well, Touch and Herb is written in a very much more comedic way, which is more of my background. And and something and he's he's like a, a very nervousy person. I'm like, yeah. I am literally, I am literally built to play Herb. <laughs> <laughs> and and sure enough, uh, I, just from that the little bit that I did in season one, I remember the showrunner Steve Blackman saying to me, he's like, uh, that was laugh out loud funny. <laughs> the, the little bits, little mannerisms, the little, yeah. uh, you know, uh, <laughs> eccentricities that I put on Herb. And, and so they, yeah, they going into season two, they, they wrote Herb in a much bigger, in a much bigger way. And uh, that was lovely. Is there a moment, uh, a highlight for you that, that you recall, was it the first day on set? What was the highlight for you? Uh, <clears throat> thankfully, I mean, there's been so many, our first day of shooting season one. Uh, my first day on set, I had the worst case of bronchitis. Oh, no. I was on antibiotics. We were shooting a funeral scene outdoors at the end. This is at the end of January in Toronto. Yeah. It was raining, so it wasn't warm enough for it to snow. <laughs> but it, so it was like raining. And I'm holding my umbrella as Pogo. And I'm like, I'm free. I'm so cold. Thankfully, Adam Godley is doing my, my lines because... I was like chattering. I was so I was so freezing. And the the funny thing was too, they had like these big, gigantic artificial sprinklers. So it was raining, but then they're like, "We want more rain. We want the yeah. fancy. We yeah. want the fancy, sexy kind of. We rain. want movie rain." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And so, so that was it. Now, you know, it's funny too that I, I, this happens a lot to me often that when you have first quite often it's like every challenge all at once mm -hmm. and then it gets easier because yeah. i'm like oh wouldn't it be great 
if I'm like the first day on scene, I'm just in the background, like walking across the screen or something. That would be a lovely soft, you know, soft start. But it's those kind of things too, where um, as an actor, as I was saying earlier, kind of a badge of honor that you're like, hey, I did that. You can reflect back and be like, wow, that was that was some cool stuff. The resiliency and and there's an excitement and for me it's the 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 very improv brain of yes and and be like okay that's what it is let's let's roll with it let's make the best of this yeah and uh, and thankfully <laughs> my bronchitis went away and <laughs> uh, and then I got to really play with that character and, and got to work with some real cool work with like Elliot Page and Cole yeah. Fior like oh my god. <laughs> I'm so aware. I'm like, I'm doing scenes with these very famous people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and learning from them too. I'm like, oh, I like what you did there. That's really cool. <laughs> it's like a little mini acting class for me. <laughs> You've been listening to Ken Hall on the Richard Krause Show. The new season of the Umbrella Academy is on Netflix right now. My guest in this segment is Maxwell McCabe Locos, director of a new film called Stanleyville. It's a darkly humorous social satire, and it's now on VOD. Now, as I mentioned earlier, imagine if Samuel Beckett wrote Squid Game minus the giant Cupid doll, then you'll kind of get the idea of what Stanleyville's all about. It is a social satire structured around a series of strange games administered by an odd moderator called the Homunculus. The contestants are challenged to everything from balloon-blowing contests to writing a national anthem for everybody, everywhere, all the time. As the games go on, escalating consequences pit the players against one another. It's a cool movie that's part Squid Game, part Lord of the Flies, and part Samuel Beckett. Stanleyville director and co-writer Maxwell McCabe-Locos joined me via Zoom. Congratulations! You have been chosen from hundreds of millions of candidates to participate in a platinum-level exclusive contest. First round is this. First round? How many rounds are there? About ten. Uh, There's only eight up there. Sounds good. There are eight rounds. This contest is just an extension of me pursuing that destiny. Yes. Pursuing your destiny. The idea, it didn't really come from anything. It's just kind of fiction. I mean, it was sort of like Rob Benvy and I, the my co-writer, we, we just, we wanted to write something that was, uh, th- th- could be done on a budget that I thought, you know, like it's a low budget movie, that's no secret, you know? So it was kind of like, well, what, what are the, what's a controllable atmosphere in a story that can, you know, have some momentum without you know, lots of location changes and giant cast and explosions and all that stuff. So there's nothing really uh, that interesting as far as the conception of it, just fiction. There's a lot of big ideas in here. So <laughs> what, we, what we lack in, in, in production value, we, uh, we make up for an ambition. Yeah. So it, there, there are a lot of ambitious ideas here. Um, really, you're trying to figure out or my takeaway from this movie. And I would imagine that everyone will have a slightly different takeaway from this. My takeaway is so that we're trying to figure out what these different personalities that are brought together uh, have to say about the human condition. So as you're writing these characters and creating these characters, were you looking for archetypes of a, of a kind to put together to represent various aspects of, of everyone in the world? Yeah. I mean, in, in a kind of, 
grotesque sense. Yeah, for sure. We were, we were, we made like a conscious decision to really stick with archetypal characters and, and the idea of it kind of being, I mean, I, I guess when I say it's purely fiction, that's, that's, you know, sort of subjective, like, obviously I'm aware of like, of reality television mm -hmm. shows like Big Brother and stuff like that, where you have these sort of like unreal, realistic, you know, kind of like performance, performance actors in the faux reality sort of there thing. So it was sort of based on that, like these really blunt objects that were, you know, the strong guy, the, the you know, the super capitalist kind of guy with daddy issues and like the hard nosed realist, like it, it, it was, it was a decision to like have the competition, the people that were competing against each other represent very broad. Yes. Like a subsection of the population, which by didn't include subtleties. You know what I mean? <laughs> You're listening to Maxwell McKay Blokos on the Richard Krauss show. His film Storyville is on VOD right now available wherever you legally download and buy movies. I love uh, that the, the movie has such a point of view, which I think is part of, you said, it's a low-budget film. I think if you go into a low-budget film, you have to have a point of view. You have to right. really start with a premise uh, that you can sink your teeth into. This movie has that. Uh, but uh, why was it important for you to throw subtlety out the window? Uh, I think, I just think in the style of the movie, like, it was, it was riding a line between kind of like, I mean, obviously it's a comedic movie, I guess it's a dark comedy, but there is some dramatic elements to it, but I didn't want to sort of get bogged down in like, um, uh, you know, to, it's, it's like taking itself too seriously, you know, like it is very slapstick and it is meant to be very silly. And I didn't want it to be like, sure. There's like some social commentary there, but I didn't want it to be like a sort of laser guided social commentary. It was more like in the broadness of the characters, there's a broad commentary and in the broadness and the silliness of the movie, uh, I, I think it would have been sort of mixing genres for there to, to delve into like more subtle ideas. And, and just like the kind of the style of the movie, like the, the tone of it is lends itself to a kind of more broad uh, or, or not lends itself, but like it is a broad kind of the jokes and the and the even if it's a little bit esoteric it's like even that is has like a silliness to it so i didn't uh, yeah i just we were like let's just keep this one kind of kind of goofy yeah. and then next time we can like get a bit more you know nuanced uh, did you write this with julian richings in mind uh he plays the mysterious moderator i guess you might call him because <laughs> once you see him in this role you can't unsee it you can't imagine anyone else sure. doing it was he always in your head uh i don't think he was in he wasn't in my head or in our heads when we first conceived of the character the homunculus but but i i've you know i work as an actor as well and so i know julian like we've worked together a bunch of times and mm -hmm. we're, we're friends already so once it got kind of down to like casting i just always thought like oh you know if i could if i could twist his arm to do this little indie that would really solve you know when you're making a little movie like it's just a bunch of little obstacles and big obstacles and like if you can think like okay well i got that sorted out like I, there's an actor that i know is gonna you know if he agrees to it then it, i don't have to worry about it and right so once and it obviously like the character did it's in his wheelhouse like that's something that he could have done but specifically i it wasn't written with him in mind but definitely like as it went on it started to we started to mold it more specifically towards julian richings 
when you dive into making a film like Stanleyville, you talk about obstacles as the writer and director. When you start working on a film like this, do you have to divide your brain right down the middle between the artistic half and then a, a, a problem-solving business half, or how does it work? Oh, man. It's funny because people say like, oh, you know, making movies is hard and like doing things are hard. And it's and there's a sort of, uh, you know, rite of passage in making an independent like a like a low budget, like a super low budget movie. This movie was like two hundred thousand dollars. And and you're like you expect that you're like, okay, well, that means like I'm going to not sleep much. But then the ways that it's hard are like they're not cool or fun. It's not like you ran, you know, a marathon and you're like, that was hard. But then yeah. you feel really good after it's like hard as in like, you have to ask a lot of people favors and you have to abjectly do things. You know, <laughs> you have to like, you have to beg, borrow and steal in a way that feels degrading. And it, right. it, it's, and on top of just like being a, like in my position, in my role in it, uh, you know, is being a kind of boss, but then like, you have to be remembered to be benevolent because everybody's being, everybody there, is doing it for a cut rate or just as a straight favor, but then you're stressed out. So the benevolence kind of takes the second seat and it's actually quite, it's, it's sort of what you, what you sign up for, but then it's, it's different. You know, you know what I mean? Like it yeah. is, it's, it's hard in ways that are like not necessarily satisfying. It just kind of takes a strip off you. <laughs> <laughs> that was Maxwell McCabe Locos on the Richard Krause show. He's the director of the film Stanleyville, which is available now wherever you legally download and buy movies. Big thanks to Maxwell for coming by. A big thanks to Ken Hall. See him on the Umbrella Academy on Netflix. And also a big shout out to Maestro Fresh West for stopping by to tell us all about Race Against the Tide. See that on CBC Television. Of course, my biggest thanks of all goes to you for listening. I'm Richard Krause. Stay healthy, stay happy, stay safe, stay weird, and we'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.